Just read out the citation. So, uh, Dr. Yurik uh, Signe is a medical doctor and seasoned global surgery researcher. is a research advocate with Harvard Medical School program in global surgery and social change. He's also a global surgery fellow with Operation Smile. He's an avid um, neurosurgery enthusiast. Um, Dr. Signe also serves on the secretariat team of the World Federation of Neurosurgical Societies, Global Neurosurgery Community. Sorry. He is the founding president of the Association of Future African Neurosurgeons, the platform dedicated to mentorship of future American, sorry, future African neurosurgeons. So I believe he's very well qualified. I mean, I've been part of his uh, one of his trainings before, and um, he has a lot of uh, good stuff to um, give to us. So um, I want everybody to just um, stay focused and then try as much as, much as possible to, you know, gain from this program. Dr. Sidney, you have the floor. Thank you, everyone. Um, so first of all, um, thanks to uh, all, all my friends here. I have a lot of friends here. Um, uh, the, for the very first of them is Aliu. Aliu is a, a friend for, has been a friend for the, the past years, uh, maybe past three or four years. Um, and Mashko is another good friend of mine. We, we served on the Incision International Research Team, and he has gone on to be an executive of, of Incision. Um, I, I have. I'm looking for my for my good friend uh, uh, Udemi, but I think maybe inter internet issues or Nepa has done him um, something bad because I can't find him yet. Um, Adesina is a good friend as well. We've worked on a few projects since we we, we know our, our context. Our context is a bit you know different. I, I think I will be. Uh, I'll turn off my camera to go through the the presentation so that. It's not using too much broadband. Um, everyone can follow for, for most of the presentation. So I hope you're okay with that. So um, I'm turning that off and sharing my screen. Um, yeah, so the presentation today is going to be very, um, very, very realistic and practical. Um, so what, what are we going to talk about today? Well, we'll talk about uh, the, the practical aspects of research, like we said. Um, my name, like it's, we said, is Ulrich Sydney. I'm available on Twitter. You can um, follow me uh, for, for more interactions and reach out if, if need be. So I have no disclosures for, for this. Um, our objectives here will be to give um, all the participants some uh, background on like global surgery research. Um, types of research, how to define a focus for yourself and go ahead and implement a career plan so that at the end of this conversation, anybody interested in, in global surgery research, academic global, um, global surgery should be able to, to, to go ahead and define a career for themselves and hopefully become uh, what, they, what they wanted to be and change um, access to surgical obstetrics, trauma and anesthesia care. So I think it's, this is an important question. Uh, what is global surgery? Obviously, I know that we are among um, incision members, uh, and so I will be expecting that everyone has an idea what global surgery is. We will not spend too much time on this, but it is very important that we ask the question. So one of the um, definitions now out there is that of Bath and Al. I've put um, a link below. And 
you can find this article if you just type global surgery definition on, on, on Google. So Bad um, looked through all that has been done for global surgery and came up with this definition. What I want you to focus on is just the, the highlighted, so the bold words here. Um, when you look at the bold words here, what you see is that um, we talk of improved equitable. Um, when we talk of surgical care here, surgical care, you should think of surgery, obstetrics, trauma, and anesthesia. So surgery here is just a, a, an umbrella term. And we're talking about the entire world's population. Um, so why did I choose these words specifically? We're trying to make things better. And to make things better, we need to know um, where we started so that we can appreciate where we are after. You know, you cannot say if something has been improved if you don't have a baseline. And this is where research comes in. Research helps us establish what the baseline is and sometimes identify why the baseline is that way. Then perhaps suggest how we can improve the baseline. Then we can reevaluate and decide whether we have improved or not. So this is really where the um, research um, comes in. But the interesting thing about global surgery is that global surgery has so many um, aspects to its practice. Research is just one component. There is advocacy, which is you getting your business on other people's tables. So basically what we'll say, uh, shaking tables out there, you know, uh, um, when you go there and you're like, okay, this is one problem, say in Nigeria, uh, uh, a Nigerian population doesn't have access to cardiac surgery care. We want them to have access to cardiac surgery care. If you're doing that, you're speaking to uh, um, the governor of a state, if you're speaking to a minister, you're, you're in, in the advocacy business. Um, another component is policy. You know, if, if things are going to happen, you need some kind of political will. This political will can be in the form of um, the states, um, like the Ministry of Health, for example, Ministry of Finance. It can be in the form of, um, you know, societies, medical societies. Um, I, I always remember this one video that I saw, I think it was five or six years back, when one of the ministers of health of Nigeria was telling young Nigerian general practitioners that, that they, they needed to think about other um, career prospects instead of talking about trying to get into specialization. If my, if my recollection is right, he said something like, you can be tailors. This gown that I'm wearing was sewn by my tailor, who is a medical doctor, you know. Those are, that is policy. It is bad policy, but it is policy and you need to be able to change that. So there is one component of that in global surgery policy. Another component of global, uh, global surgery is education. This activity organizing is an activity of education, you know, getting skills, exchanging, not education in the sense that I'll be teaching you anything. We're, we're going to be exchanging because we all come with different perspectives and experiences. I'm no expert in global surgery in Nigeria. You know, you are all the experts of global surgery in Nigeria. You all know what um, global surgical care looks like in Nigeria. And I don't know that. And there's going to be that exchange. So whatever I give here will be from my biased perspective. And you need to take that based on your experience. See what makes sense. If it doesn't, if something doesn't make sense, feel free to discard it, you know. Um, and so... The interesting thing in global surgery is that all these components interact together. I think it's really important to understand that. So we said we start with global surgery research and then we go ahead and get data. 
when we get that data, we try to, 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 to propose solutions. We try to improve the situation. Now that data often helps for advocacy. So um, Aliou um, brilliantly said that 5 billion, people, 5 billion people around the world lack access to safe, affordable, and timely surgical care. We got that from, from a research and we're using that as an advocacy tool. It has been so successful that it has helped to get the World Bank, the WHO, the World Health Organization, USAID, to understand that surgical obstetrics, trauma, and anesthesia care are important. So at the end of the day, here we are with like a, a, a research output that is translating to advocacy and that later on translated to policy. We'll see in the history of, of global surgery how, how that has happened, but it, this is really key. Then the other component here is equitable. Equity is a word that comes up uh, very often in, in these years, you know. Um, everyone wants some kind of um, um, equity, and it, this is even more important in, in surgical care. And again, I do said brilliantly, it is a human right. People should not die because they are poor. They didn't decide to be poor. So, uh, uh, so I, I, I go back to, I think it's Temi's song, my papa no be dangote. And it's not because my, my, my dad is not dangote that I will, I will die from surgery. I didn't decide to, 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 to be born with, with the dad who's not dangote. If all of us had to choose here, yeah, maybe we will be with Femi or Tedola. So um, that it's not fair on those who are not Femi or Dangote's um, children to not have access to care. And this concerns the entire world. One, one mistake we, we make is that we think global surgery means surgery or global surgery within low and middle income countries, as though high income countries do not have this problem. They have it less than we do, but they still have the problem. If you were to go to the United States today and you had, um, say, um, otitis media and you don't, have, you don't have insurance, you probably spend upwards of $1,200 just for just for the basic treatment. That's if you don't have insurance. But to get insurance in the US, you need to be working. So there, it's a reality that there are some people in the US who do not have access to safe, affordable care. It's a reality. Now that we've defined um, global surgery, we can move to the next thing. So we were talking about the practice, right? We spoke about how there is advocacy policy, education research. When we talk about service delivery, service delivery is really the surgery in global surgery. If you deconstruct global surgery, it's almost a, a portmanteau between global health and surgery. So you take global health on one side and then you have surgery. So you still have some kind of surgery in it. And so there still needs to be a component of service delivery, which is you providing surgical obstetrics, anesthesia, trauma care to people. And this means that it goes even into things like developing new techniques, new instruments, uh, which are cheaper, which are better for a low resource setting or for a setting in which people do not have enough money. So all these components are within surgery. And so when you understand all of this, that means that you can literally have advocacy research, policy research, education research, research and service delivery research. So this is the first thing we need to establish. And so if you're trying to get into, into global surgery research, Find a, a, a spot that you feel comfortable in early on. Are you more of a, an advocacy kind of a person or a service delivery kind of a person? And start working on that and build your passion. Why is this important? Research takes time. 
and it, you need to be very patient. And if you're going to be patient with something like this in which you're invested and you're not getting any direct uh, um, reward for, then you need to be passionate and you need to like what you're doing. Do not commit the mistake of getting involved in something if you have no interest whatsoever. You will not end up completing your projects. So I, I would like all of us to reflect on this. And we will reflect on this every time we add information. Who, who qualifies as a global surgeon? And what makes someone a global surgeon? So if we've asked that question, then obviously we need to ask the next question. What makes global surgery research? It, it, can we say that all research produced in a low and middle income country is global surgery research? Because it, it is in, in a country where you have uh, limited access. If you think about limited access, you, for example, in Nigeria, know this better than anyone. The kind of care that you can get in Lagos, that you can get on, on um, in some in some areas of Abuja, is not the kind of care that you will get uh, um, in in the Delta region in the Adamawa. That's not the kind of care that you will get. You know, there is so much disparity. In, there are some places in Nigeria, in within Lagos and Abuja, where you get care that is comparable to the UK, comparable to the USA. So does this mean that even if research came from that place, it is necessarily global survey research? So we need to ask and answer that question. And we will be able to, at the end, to at least have elements of um, response to, to, to that. So. I, I am a fan of history because it, it is difficult to go anywhere if you don't know where you've come from. It's always important to understand the history. And when we talk about global surgery, well, interestingly, the first time the word global surgery came into play was actually mentioned by a former WHO director general. And this was in the 1980s. However, it wasn't until 2014, 15, that global surgery actually took off. At a time when, when the DG of WHO mentioned global surgery, taking care of surgical patients, people were like, mm, we don't think it's important. Surgery is very expensive. And like we think more people are dying and suffering from infectious diseases. And there has been that pushback from the global surgery community to say, no, you, you don't affect, you, you don't um, have a greater burden than surgery. We uh, find, we found out that more than 5 million people don't have access to surgical care, obstetrics, and anesthesia. I think it's not really a good idea to try and compare, to say um, we have a bigger burden. The thing is, people are suffering altogether. For a human being, you know, it doesn't make a difference whether um, for the average Nigerian, whether you have malaria or whether you have appendicitis, all of that is still suffering. And all of that is still means that you still go to the hospital and you still need to spend money, you know. And you probably have to not go to the hot to, to, to work for a while because you're sick. And at the end of the day, what we should be what we should be talking about is that people should just be healthy, not comparing which one has more burden or which one has uh, is more important. Because how do you put value on, on life? Would you say a person that has HIV is more important to the state than someone that has a fracture? And how do you define that? You know, so so it's important not to not not to to get into those conversations. And this is where global surgery research helps you get into that because then you understand that when you're doing your global surgery research, 
it is better for you to look at solutions at the level of a health system, not just individuals, you know. Don't go out there and just be focused on one thing. Try to look at it in a, as an ensemble. You all have been at the hospital by now, either as a student, a physician, or even as a patient. And you all know what it is like. You know those stories of people going to the hospital, getting care that they weren't able to pay for. And then they have to stay at the hospital as though it's a hotel for a month, for two, because they've been, uh, they, they cannot live without paying. The hospital is in a difficult position because if they let them go, then they won't have money to replace the consumables they use. And that means that the next person coming in an emergency will not be taken care of. So it's always easy to go, for example, in the newspaper and say all these hospitals, all these doctors, as you, as you definitely know what has happened recently in Nigeria, all these doctors, why are they not working? Why is this? And then point fingers at them. Whereas you have to look globally. It's not just that the doctors, the doctors are not getting paid. So why do you want them to go to the hospital? The doctors are not getting uh, uh, um, um, COVID uh, protections and you want them to, to go and take care of a population that has not been able to respect um, all the different physical distancing measures. And this is where the history comes in. And then all those questions that I'm asking are definitely research questions. Each time you ask a question like this one, you um, you end up you you end up finding um, that uh, you can definitely make a research, uh, come up with a research, and then uh, try to answer that question. Um, so the first people to revive this story about global surgery are Paul Farmer and Jim Kim. Paul Farmer is a um, global health advocate. He, he and Jim Kim um, schooled at Harvard Medical School. And they were very into, very interested in anthropology, medical anthropology. They created this organization called uh, Partners in Health. Jim Kim went on to be the, the president of the World Bank. Why is this important? Because then you understand why global surgery got traction at the level of world, at the World Bank. This is where it came from. And they are the ones, none of them are surgeons. They are the ones who wrote an article saying global surgery is the neglected stepchild of public health, of global health. And that is how uh, later on we got the Lancet Commission on Global Surgery. And it is this Paul Farmer that um, has, he's at the head of the Department of um, Social Medicine at Harvard Medical School. And that's why the program of global surgery has a fellowship with his name, which is the Paul Farmer Global Surgery uh, Fellowship. So if you're interested in this, I definitely think this is something that's important. You need to learn that um, and understand. Um, and then, after that, the commission was created, Lancet Commission on Global Surgery. They did some preliminary research to understand how um, the burden of disease is around the world and the different costs. And they defined six indicators. If you're going to do global surgery, you need to know um, this. You need to understand the indicators. Um, one of the indicators is about the workforce, which is a specialist workforce. So they went ahead and um, um, counted um, the, the specialist workforce, which is like surgeons, anesthetists, um, obstetricians, uh, 100,000 um, people. And then they, they took into, a, uh, into account service delivery through the number of operations per, per population. And then they equally um, estimated safety. They estimated safety by thinking about um, post-operative mortality, the post-operative mortality rate. And, and then they thought about um, funding, 
which is like protection in this case, which is protection against catastrophic and impoverishing health expenditures or what is called financial risk protection. So what this means is that uh, we look at a patient going to the hospital and because they need surgical care, they spend money directly for medical expenses, which is called direct medical expenses. And indirectly, for example, because when you go to the hospital, you know, you have your family members that come to visit you, to stay with you because there are not enough nurses. They're often the ones who even take care of you in the hospital. Um, they need to bring food for you. That food, it means money. Uh, they need to pay transport to come to the hospital um, that reaches again more money. And, and then if you're at the hospital, you're losing money, you know, so that is an indirect um, um, expense to, to you being ill. And so if all these expenses drive you below the poverty line, then they are impoverishing health expenditures. And if you were already in the poverty, below the poverty line and you incur these expenses, then you're incurring catastrophic health expenditures. I've just given you um, a, a, a few of the more understandable definitions of catastrophic and impoverishing health expenditures, but there are other ones with like the percentages and everything. So if we think about the definition of the poverty line or of poverty, it's like being earning less than $1.90 a day, which is a lot of people in our countries. Uh, so if someone is earning less than $1.90 a day and makes any kind of expenditure towards, towards surgical obstetrics, anesthesia, and trauma care, then it is considered a catastrophic health expenditure. And so normally these people are supposed to be covered by the state by some kind of national health insurance. And so this is a segue into universal health coverage, which again will be another aspect. So I'm giving you all this global view. If you see something that interests you, please write it down somewhere and read more about it. That's how you will find a niche for you in global surgery that will be interesting. So these are the, the indicators that define, there were six altogether, right? And then when they define these six indicators, um, what happened was the indicators usually were um, modeled. It wasn't real data. They found out that a lot of these things, the data is not available for most of our countries. So they had to use um, something that is called modeling. So basically they, they were estimating, they were guessing. So it is very possible that even the data we have up to now is not accurate. And so if you're going to get into global surgery, one of the, the things that you can start by doing is even just defining or helping define those um, global surgery indicators by trying to collect data on that. Right. As a reminder, it is collecting data on the, the workforce, surgery, obstetrics, anesthesia, trauma, collecting data on, uh, you can do that from a specialist angle, from like an allied nurse angle as well. You can collect data on the surgical volume. Um, this can be a national survey. This can also be like provincial, regional. Um, you can collect data on safety, which is post-operative mortality rate. You can collect data on uh, catastrophic and impoverishing health expenditure, which would be literally being at a hospital and getting the remuneration of your patients and seeing how much they're spending and how much they're losing by being at the hospital. Um, and then following all of this, the information from the Lancet Commission was taken to the World Health Assembly, which is the meeting of the WHO. And at this World Health Assembly meeting in 2015, a resolution was passed, resolution 6815, Again, here, this is how you see how the research from the Lancet Commission was turned into advocacy 
at the World Health Assembly, then which turned into policy as a resolution, which became resolution 6815. And resolution 6815 recognized that emergency and essential surgical care was part of universal health and therefore should be covered by universal health coverage. Then they defined this um, emergency and essential surgical um, diseases in the disease control priorities three. If you just go on Google and type disease control priorities three, you can download the document for free and learn which ones were put there. And again, this is another angle for you to research. Um, to, to, to better address all the problem of global surgery, um, they went ahead and defined national surgical obstetrics and anesthesia plans, ENSOBs, and Nigeria is um, working on its own ENSOB right now. Um, we won't go too much into that. So in terms of, we've, we've spoken about global surgery, right? Now we want to define academic global surgery. Uh, when we use the word academic, what, what comes to mind is um, uh, research, right? An academic set setting. Um, and so academic global surgery, um, as defined here, uh, one of the two definitions that you can find out there, uh, you see it involves research, like we said before, education, advocacy, and surgical care delivery, service delivery in regions which have health inequities. And I remind, I remind you again that it's not about low and middle income countries, it's everywhere, so long as there's no access to safe, affordable, and timely surgical care. So another, another um, uh, definition that we have here, this one from Krishna Swami, um, we talk, this definition focuses again on research, which is the scholarship, production of research, um, academic output, education, and it insists on the fact that it has to be linked with some kind of clinical global surgery. It can be in the form of basic, basic science. Basic science is the, the research that you do in the lab with like cells, uh, mice, rats, um, other kinds of animals. Translational research is when you take that basic science and try to implement it in a clinical setting because there is a, a wide disparity between what works in vitro and what works in vivo. Um, education we've spoken about, the clinical outcomes uh, re represented in the Lancet Commission uh, primarily by um, uh, um, the post-operative mortality rate. And, and what is interesting here is this concept of health services research and like health system strengthening. You get a health systems approach to your, your solution or research. So what you do is you look at a problem, not just from a disease perspective, you look at it cross-sectionally. So you say, okay, if there's a problem with this disease, it's probably because a system has some issues and you look at it from the components of a health system. One of them is the workforce. The other one is the service delivery. The other one is infrastructure. Um, another one is funding for the system. Another one is information management. And the final one is uh, governance. We'll speak more about it um, later on. So let's get now to this. We've, we've shown you, I, I hope we've shown you by now that global surgery research can reach far and wide. And I feel like if you're interested in surgery, you'll probably find a spot for yourself in global surgery research. You should be able to, to find something for yourself. Um, and so if you're able to find something for yourself, the next question is, um, how do you start the research? Obviously, before you start anything, you need to read all that has been done 
at least re that is relevant to what you want to do. Otherwise, you will do research that is not necessarily, that is new information, but that is not um, um, very pertinent. What do I mean by this? Um, let's think about if someone came and told you how many people are in a nightclub somewhere uh, in, in, in Abuja right now, that is new information you didn't know. But is that relevant? Is that pertinent? Is that something you're interested in? Probably not, but it's still new information. And so there is this mistake that we make where we think because we're, we're reporting something new, it is relevant. It's not. Uh, you have an advantage, unlike a lot of people, you live in a setting of low um, access to safe surgical care. Um, and timely and affordable. So you know what is relevant. You know what is relevant because all of us have been in that situation where we sit down and we're complaining about the system, right? We complain about how uh, um, as medical students graduate, you're not able to get into the workforce immediately. When you get into the workforce, you have difficulties getting into residency. When you get into residency, you're not paid in time, on time. So you have to go uh, and see your 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 landlord and start begging and making arrangements, all of that, um, after spending all this money, uh, what happens? Some people cannot um, take it, so they, they might leave the country to try and get a better solution. Um, uh, is that necessarily a bad thing? Is that necessarily a good thing? All those questions are research questions, all of them. And so you have that advantage. And if you found answers to them, people would be interested, you know. Um, I, I, I would put it this way. We, we all know that video of off your mic, right? That is a situation that you can use a global surgery prism to it. You know, like wh why did that happen? A lot of that has to do with poor governance structures, not just from the, like the, the Ministry of Health or the government, but equally from the medical um, professional bodies, right? Um, and if you, if you apply a global surgery aspect to, to it, you will find that, um, well, that there are certain things that can be improved on. So if we're going to read relevant research, we are going to be challenged by something. The fact that um, more, the more time passes, the more you get publications in global surgery. They can be confusing. They can be annoying. So I think one way we can start, I would recommend for anyone who is not um, versed with global surgery research, is to check the article written by Neil Curie et al, which um, gives you ten, top 10 resources in global surgery. At least start with that. And then once you've done that, you need to get in touch with um, those organizing um, journal clubs. I'm happy we have uh, Mashku here. Mashku, is, um, uh, Mashku and Ali, you actually are, uh, have contributed um, significantly to, to, to journal clubs within uh, different organizations. Uh, Mashku, for example, within incision for, for more than uh, a couple of years. Um, the Johns Hopkins um, SOTA group, which is like surgery, obstetrics, trauma, anesthesia, you can find them on, online on Twitter. They organize weekly journal clubs. Harvard PGSSC organizes weekly journal clubs as well. And a Lifebox, Ariadne Lifebox, they do organize um, weekly journal clubs. And so if you're interested in this, it, it will be a good idea to join these global surgery journal clubs because it would help you keep abreast of the research. Um, it's easier to start thinking about research when you, once you've started um, reading, when, once you have a good idea of what is out there, really. 
Um, I mentioned um, Twitter, right? I think if you're going to be serious about um, doing research, there's no way on earth that you're going to go, to go about it without Twitter, especially in global surgery. If you're serious about global surgery research and you're not on Twitter, you need the first thing you need to do is create your global surgery, your Twitter account, follow um, the relevant accounts like Dominic Verwood, follow Aliu, Mashko, Global Surgery Journal Club, follow as many of them as you can. When you read an article, try and find if the author is online, follow them so that you can be abreast of, you can stay abreast of what they're publishing and what they feel are priorities and you can equally give feedback. So my recommendation to you is um, start with Twitter. Dominic Verwood published this document on issue in 2018. It is hashtag Global Surgery 101, where he explains how you can engage um, from the creation of your account all the way to like having a strong presence online on Twitter. So we, we gave the breadth of global surgery research, right? And now we want to go into like, how, how can we view this so that it's, it's less confusing? Um, we can take a look at it by specialty, right? Um, so one way you can decide to approach this is start by thinking, what am I um, interested in? Uh, are, you, are you an anesthesia kind of person? an OPSGYN kind of person or neurosurgery, plastic surgery, cardiac surgery. You can start there and start perhaps reading global cardiac surgery or global anesthesia research so that you get a better idea. Um, another way we can look at it is from like the LCOX. LCOX here means Lancet Commission of Global Surgery. I forgot to put the S there, LCOX indicator. Um, like I mentioned before, we have indicators for geographical um, access, which is like to our access to a facility. Um, the facilities here are defined as bellwether. Bellwether facility is a facility that, so the term bellwether comes from politics normally. A bellwether state or district is a, is a district that resembles the nation. So you can go into that district and take um, votes and you can get an idea of what the entire nation will look like. So with the, um, the global surgery community did the same. They said, okay, what are three surgeries that if you have they'll be good um, a good uh, they'll give you a good idea of like the rest of the surgical system they found out that, that when facilities are able to offer three surgeries which are c-section um laboratory open laboratory and um, laboratory and um open fracture repair they were able to offer most other surgeries uh more than 90 percent of the time and so they define any facility that can give you those three things at any one point in time as a bellwether facility and so if you're trying to estimate geographical proximity you can use gis or geographic information system mapping this is a type of research where you will be defining um how far away are individuals by car um, from a facility that offers bellwether which is um we said cesarean section laparotomy for, for things like appendicectomy and, and, and uh, open fracture repair. In terms of specialist workforce, we mentioned it like SOTA, surgery, obstetrics, trauma, anesthesia. But you can equally give another perspective to this, which would be uh, nurses, for example, or, or biomedical engineers. And you can think about it from so many different angles. The operative volume, again, um, it's self-explanatory. Safety and quality of care, usually we talk about the post-operative mortality rate, but safety and quality in medicine has been defined by more than just the post-operative mortality rate. For example, 
the one, one thing they, they use in safety and quality of care is if a condition can be avoided and it happens, then there's a problem with the safety and quality of care. So uh, things like patients developing pulmonary embolism in hospital would be considered um, negative, um, negative factors in terms of quality of care. And you can read more about this. You can go online, read more about quality of care and try to define this within your context. Uh, we, we took some time to, to, uh, to speak about financial risk protection um, earlier on. Now, the surgical system component is another way you can look at it. I mentioned that there were six of them, workforce, service delivery, infrastructure, information management is like um, having databases to be able to track diseases, funding in terms of money for like financial risk protection governance. So let's get to the thick of it now that we've given all this information. So how do you build a career in academic global surgery? And specifically, I want this, I'm going to be talking about from a perspective of like low and middle income country um, researchers. So you start with building your own capacity and there are a lot of resources online for free. All of the things I've put here are free. So you start by having internet and by taking some time to take these courses. All of them are free. Um, Elsevier, Cochrane for like systematic review, Elsevier and Author Aid give you the basics for research, at least understanding the process and everything. Hoblands will help you be a good reviewer. It's good to be a reviewer because you get to read what other people have done and you get to give feedback, you contribute to the community. Coursera has many, 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 many um, uh, um, courses. One of them, for example, is the biostatistics for public health. Normally you have to pay for most of those for, for the courses, but if you tell them you can apply for financial aid uh, 15 days before the course starts, and often they give it, if they know that you're from a low and middle income country and you have a clear plan of how you want to use it, they will help you with it. Same thing goes for edX. Um, global health e-learning is free. Um, now you need to think about having a portfolio. So your portfolio starts when you have certain accounts. We mentioned Twitter already. We need to think about Orchid as well. So you just go online, type Orchid, put your information in, create an Orchid. This gives you a unique number of identification for your research and helps you track your research. This is very important, especially for us Africans, because we often have um, four, five, six names, you know, uh, because when we are born, um, we need to give the name from the paternal family, from the maternal family. And then you have, you have to give you a name for like your, your godmother, your godfather that will be accompanying you in your life and all those things. So. What happens is that when we write articles, we often like one day you're called um, um, Ola Olua at Adesina, and then the other day, because your name is equally uh, um, uh, Obasanjo, now you're writing Obasanjo Adesina. So when you go on PubMed, nobody can find all your articles. So your articles are like as though they were different people. And that, that is, that is a, a risk for you because then you don't get the right credit. Although you know where your articles are, other people don't know. So if you use Orchid, it will help you so that every time you submit an article, try to submit it like your Orchid so that it always goes to the right account and try to write your name in the quote unquote European way. Um, I, we, we call ourselves by our family names first. But if you do that when you're writing a manuscript, what happens is that your family name gets abbreviated and your last name, um, which appears is actually your first name. So say your name is um, James Okeke and you decide, you write like the way we usually write, it would appear Okeke James 
And so if you go online, it's going to appear O James. So you're supposed to write James, then OKK, so that it appears J OKK. That's an example. You need um, a Google Scholar account. Um, when you don't have a lot of research experience, the good idea, it's a good idea to start with things like letters to the editor. These are easy documents to write. Um, whenever you see something interesting, you have a perspective, try to write, but equally write op-eds. Um, start with reviews as well, be it narrative reviews, scoping reviews, and systematic reviews. Remember we said for reviews, you can um, learn about how to do them by going through the Cochrane um, course, which I mentioned in the previous slides. Surveys are a good way as well because they're easy to do. They, they're not very um, uh, difficult. Uh, but the issue with this is that a lot of people have received too many surveys between um, during the COVID um, pandemic. So surveys are not giving you as much results uh, as you would like. So I, I would say probably wait a little bit on this and work more on letters to the editor and reviews. Um, whenever you work on a project, try to have an abstract presentation at the conference. Privilege a conference that is online and equally conferences that will offer you travel scholarships. An example of this kind of conference would be Bethune, B-E-T-H-U-N-E, -E, which is in Canada. So if you do your research in time and you submit to Bethune and they accept it, um, you, you are very likely to, to, if it's really good work, you're likely to get uh, a travel scholarship, all, all expenses paid. Unfortunately, the fact that you get a travel scholarship is not enough for you to get a visa. Uh, we've had situations where we were not able to, on a, to uh, attend conferences. So that is another game um, on, on its own. And often they will refuse it because they'll say you're young. It is likely that you will go there and you will enjoy Oibo life too much that you will not want to go back. So um, you, need to, uh, you need to be cognizant of that and understand that you have some frustrations. Um, another conference for travel scholarships is health systems research, uh, which equally offers a lot of travel scholarships. Whenever you're publishing, try to get visual abstracts and try to get them in English and local languages so that people in your area, in your country can read about what you found. Research is not for flaunting on the internet. Research is meant to be used. It's good to post it on the internet so that people can learn about it. And so if you're going to do it, make it in such a way that people can actually learn about it. If you have to put it in pigeon, put it in pigeon. If it has to be um, in, a, in, in a local languages, then put them in local languages. Uh, talking probably about career. Now you're here and you're probably asking yourself, okay, if, where am I going to go to, to, to get these things done? Um, you can start where you are, but these are other places that can get you uh, um, to where you want to be. So in Rwanda, there is the University of Global Health Equity that offers a master's in science in global health delivery. Um, you can apply every year. Um, and if you meet the if you meet the threshold, the standards, they will admit you. It's very competitive nowadays because UGHE is directly linked with Harvard Medical School through PIH and Paul Pharma. So they get um, applications from all over the world. I think this year they got something like 600 applications for less than 20 positions. So if you're going to go for this, make sure you have a CV that is um, consequent. Um, University, the University of Cape Town offers a master's in global health um, within their global, uh, master's in global surgery within their global surgery department through um, Professor Salome Masuime. And you can aim for this as well. You can, you can get the, the fellowship while doing their masters. Harvard PGSSC offers a fellowship 
Uh, it's like a two-year fellowship, but you are not getting a degree. However, you can get into the Harvard PGSSC program and equally get into Harvard School of Public Health so that while you're doing your fellowship, you can get your master's in public health. But for the fellowship, they'll only get you, admit you if you're already in residency now. Um, Operation Smile equally offers a uh, global surgery fellowship. They have less spaces and it's um, very competitive, but it's definitely an, um, an avenue, especially if you're interested in plastic surgery and burns. That is like burns and, and cleft lip and palate. King's College in the UK offers equally a master's for global surgery. So that is interesting, worth knowing. McGill in Canada, University of British Columbia in Canada as well. Um, Oxford is not properly a master's in global surgery, but they have a very good team of like global surgeons there. So if you go and do your master's in tropical medicine, you can um, definitely be involved. You will be involved in global surgery. Um, there is always the, the possibility of doing a master's in public health anywhere else, but like focus on surgery. And for this, you can do it anywhere. Um, and the other possibilities, master's of science in global health. Um, there is a, there's a, an important question you have to ask yourself, um, fellowships versus degrees. The thing is, all these things cost a lot of money. You know, I, I've had this conversation with so many people. They cost really a lot of money, like um, upwards of 30,000 US dollars generally. And so if we're talking about that kind of money, you, you need to ask yourself, how are you going to fund it? Usually the fellowships don't have money. Unfortunately, most of the fellowships don't have money. However, if you get into the degree programs, you can apply for scholarships through, um, for example, MasterCard. MasterCard has a good um, scholarship program for Africans. If you're getting in, if you get into Oxford, you can apply for the Rhodes Scholarship, uh, which will cover all your expenses as well. If you're going into have um, the Harvard School of Public Health, not a PGSSC, you're going to the School of Public Health, and you can apply for the Fulbright Scholarship. Um, you can equally apply for um, scholarships from the World Bank, uh, which, which, but which are not which are not total. So those are some of the uh, options there. So without that, then you have to think about how you're going to come up with the funds for this. Um, you can get involved early on already with collaborations, with multinational research collaborations. Um, there is the African Surgical Outcome Study, ASOS. That, that has been working very hard. So you're really interested in like outcomes and anesthesia, surgical outcomes. This is the group you need to be meeting. Um, they, need, they need help with a lot of things. Uh, sometimes it just means you'll be doing grunt work, sending out emails, getting certain things done, but that's how you get involved. And this is often uh, work that gets a lot of publications, um, a lot of citations. So it will help you increase your H index. You can work with COVID search, global search, global PED search if you're interested in pediatric surgery. Incision has a lot of research um, between national working groups. And I'm sure even in Nigeria, you have your own um, research. The, if you're interested in neurosurgery, you can join Global Neurotrauma. Um, I think if you speak with Ali, you, you will learn about how to join them and what to do. Um, global Onc as well for global oncological surgery. So now behind the scene of like, you're trying to do research, what are some of the things you need to be weary about? Um, track all your work using an, a spreadsheet that you will update frequently. You need to know all your, how all your work um, is going. Initially, you might not have a lot of work, but when you do good work, you get more work. That's how it happens. So if, you, if people appreciate you, they'll just keep putting you on projects and it's easy to lose track. And once you lose track, people stop trusting you and then you lose that momentum. So early on, 
use a spreadsheet, track everything you're doing. Um, try to send your manuscripts to journals that do not ask for charge, um, do not charge you for publication. Some journals will go as, as far as asking you like, I mean, think if you think you want to publish in Nature, you probably spend up to ten thousand US dollars to to get published in Nature, sell all those kind of things for like um, their, their publication charges. Uh, some of them will tell you we can waive the the article processing charges, but you have to apply for it before submitting. If you don't, then when it gets published, they'll they'll send you a very very hefty and salty bill, and you have to pay. Um, try to target special issues. If you, you, that's why you need to be on, on, on Twitter. When you hear someone is out there, like a journal, oh, we're looking for articles about social and social stuff, that's your opportunity to get three, four papers in there. Obviously, if you're working uh, with a team, because usually people try to work alone. That's not a good idea. Work with as many people as you can and try to hold yourselves accountable. If you do that, you'll find that it will be easy for you to get a lot of work um, published. Um, When you're collaborating, divide division of labor is important. Another error that many people make is that they want to be the expert in statistics, in writing, academic writing. They want to be the expert in, in, in illustrations, in everything. You cannot do that, okay? So from the get-go, decide what are you interested more in. If it's statistics, then focus on the statistics and then work with someone that is better at writing because there is a science to writing. The way we, most of us have been taught to write, that's not how you write an article. So you have to learn about academic writing. Um, and this comes with time. The more you read articles, the more you write, the more you will learn, and the more you work with people that give you some good feedback. Um, for, your, for your collaborations to stick, you need to reward people. Do not be one of those people that do not do much of the work, but they want to appear first author. Do not be one of those people. Um, and try to, to be honest among yourselves. Um, try to use online documents with Google, Google Docs, Forms, Sheets, Slides, so that everyone is working on the same document and everyone can see what the others are doing. And early on, try to learn how to use a reference manager. So what does a global surgery career look like really? Now, if you're trying to go up that, um, that hill, this is kind of what it looks like because it's still an academic job. And so, the, the summit is where, where you see this like endowed chair. This is from the academic perspective. Uh, and to get to this level, it's about publishing uh, a lot and getting grants, getting money, funding. So if you're learning academic global surgery and global surgery research, it's not just about conducting research. You really need to know how to apply for money, which is grants and manage that money. So, you cannot have an excuse after what we've, we've said. We've asked so many questions. Choose any of the questions that we asked today and decide to start by writing a document, um, a letter to the editor uh, about what you think the answers are from your perspective. And you can submit it to um, journals. You can start with like African journals, be it the Nigerian post-medical um, journal or Cosexa journal or the African Annals of Surgery or Pan-African Medical Journal, you can start there. So talking about writing a letter to the editor and op-ed. So global surgery, um, 
op-eds and blogs, you can write them, you can write them to so many, so many outlets. And Madupai published this document recently in Nature Microbiology um, about where you can submit global health blog posts and op-eds. Um, op-eds literally mean opposite editorial, the, the letter that the editors um, note. And so they appear often in like semi-academic outlets. This is a good way to, to, to get writing. The advantage here is that you can put some kind of personal perspective, personal stories. Uh, it's a good way to get out there. So write, write, write. Anything you have as an idea, write. And do not be, do not put your heart, do not put too much heart into it in, in the sense that if you submit it and they say it's not good, try to get feedback, you know, don't, don't take it personally. Say, okay, how, how can I perhaps improve this? Try and improve it and work on it. Sometimes certain work, certain work has to just stay lying on your computer for the right moment for it to get published. Um, but not every time. It's rare, but it just, just recognize that. So here is my question from the beginning. Do you have an answer to these questions? Who do you think is a global surgeon? And if you're going to answer this question, you obviously give your perspective, but quote references from published global surgery research. What makes someone a global surgeon? And this is important because if we, if we, if we think about the, um, the surgeon, even within Nigeria, if we think about a surgeon practicing somewhere in Calabar, uh, where there is no electricity, where there is perhaps no, no roads, um, and this person has never learned about the word global surgery, but they are helping people get access to safe, timely and affordable care. Is this person a global surgeon? If someone is a surgeon and they get a master's in global surgery, are they more of a global surgeon than this surgeon in, in, in Calabar? If someone gets funding at uh, a big university, at Harvard, at King's College, are they more of a global surgeon than you right now in Nigeria? You that have been every day at, patient's bed, at a patient's bedside, taking care of patients and finding solutions. Are they more of a global surgeon than you? So what, what in your opinion makes someone a global surgeon? And if you ask that question, then what makes, for example, a degree in global surgery? What, are, what, are, what is supposed to be taught in a degree of global surgery? And what qualities are, uh, would you expect out of global surgery research? What would you consider global surgery research? If someone published an article in the United States about increasing access to thrombectomy for like um, strokes in New York, that is about getting um, timely care. Would you consider that global surgery? If someone posted about using a, an innovative technique to take care of hernia repair in um, Lagos, would you consider that global surgery research? And what wouldn't you consider global surgery research? All these questions can be answered in an op-ed in a letter to the editor. So this is my proposal or my gift to you that you Incision Nigeria work on this to see among yourselves how you would answer these questions based on what has been published already and based on your experience and try to give it some nuance and perhaps submit it. Thank you. All right, Dr. Eric, thank you so much. Um, 
if only if we could all unmute ourselves and just give him, you know, a round of applause. I mean, I think that was that was like really, really great. I mean, thank you that was so, awesome, so much. Appreciate it. I think that was that, that was a great that was a great presentation. And I, I you know, one of the things I love the most, one of the things I love the most was uh, the fact that you brought it home. You really, really brought it home. Like, you know, you brought it home to our local setting to a local Nigerian setting. And then you saw you made some references to Lagos and all that. So I think that's, that's a really, really great. Thank you so much for that. Um, you mentioned some things which, when I started out, you know, when I started out, when I was interested in global surgery, so I was really bothered. I applied to the PGSSC as well. And, you know, of course I wasn't getting anywhere. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't have a lot of things on my resume and stuff. So I'm, I'm glad you was able to uh, address some of those things. Um, guys, if you have any questions, please, uh, type your questions in the in the chat box, and uh, we'll try our best possible to um, to answer them. Um, the first, I think someone already asked the question about the six indicators that you mentioned. I think those are the, the indicators from the Lancet um, Commission. If you could just uh, retrade them for the um, for the person. Yeah, th th thanks first of all for, for the um, appreciation and, uh, and the comments. I just want to say, I, I know I, I could have come up here with um, like a whole course on actual research and everything. If we did that, we would not have finished. Um, that, like from what you've seen, I hope you've seen it from, from what you've seen, global surgery research is really broad. Um, I could have come today and just spoken only about the survey or only about um, reviews or only about um, health financing, you know? And I think it's, a, it's more useful for you if I, that I give you the breath and then you decide what you're interested in. And you can always reach out, go online, for example, or reach out with questions. Uh, we, will, we can give you those information. But if you, if you just um, type on Google, um, a lot of what we've said, you'll find it easily. Um, really um, um, easily. Now getting to the question about the indicators. So the indicators as well, you can find them on, on Google, right? If you just type global surgery um, indicators, you'll find that you land on the, on, the land, um, on the Lancet Commission of Global Surgery uh, page. And um, there are six of them. Um, one of them is about, it's often said to be geographical um, access, but it's not really access because it's more, more of proximity. And this nuance again is a research. It's a research question. Why make the difference between geographical access and proximity? First, let's define what it is. When we talk about um, the first indicator, we're thinking about two-hour access to a facility. If you're thinking about global surgery in general, okay, then it means two-hour access to a bellwether facility. Bellwether, we said, is the facility that has one laparotomy, two cesarean section, and three open fracture repair. If a facility can do those three things, it's considered a, uh, a bellwether facility. We mean it's not, not, we're not talking about if it is supposed to, we're saying if it's able to, okay? And so um, what, the way you go about this is what we call GIS. Um, uh, if, you, if you learn about, you can go online and learn, take open uh, um, access courses on GIS. There's a lot of free software out there that you can decide to work in a really small setting and just do research about it, and it will be interesting. Um, so that that will be the first that will be the first thing. But then we, we spoke about this nuance between proximity and access. What I mean by this is this: 
uh, when you're doing GIS, it uses things like uh, maps to say, okay, if you're living at X place, um, it will take you about two hours to get to this facility. There's a really nice study out of Nigeria that came out about access to um, facilities for um, maternal health. And they found out that the, the time given by this software is, is off, you know, and we all know what traffic jam is like in our cities. When we talk about proper traffic jam, even Okada cannot get you there. You, you're just staying somewhere, right? So that it makes a difference between proximity where you're, yes, you're close, but do you actually have access there? Um, so, so, and again, that's a nuance that you can write, you can read about it and, and write from your perspective. You take just Google, for example, if Google tells you living from X to Y, will take you this time. When you take your, 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 your public transport, does it take you that more at that same time? And so does it make sense to use that to define access in, in Nigeria? You see, that, that is a question and that's something you can work on. Um, and then the other indicator, for example, is the surgical volume, which gives you an idea of service delivery. How many operations are done? So you go within maybe a state and you decide that in this state, let's try and see how many Let's go through all the facilities in this state and see how many surgeries are done each year. And then we, we will ratio that based on, on, on the number of inhabitants. And then still for surgery delivery, to get an idea of the quality, you can look at it from a perspective of um, post-operative mortality rate, which is the way you get safety. But safety equally has been done on another aspect on like the usage of um, um, safe surgery checklist. So you can read about that as well. How many centers are actually using the safe surgery checklist? And if they're not using it, what are some of the things that they find difficult for not using it? Those are again questions, research questions. Uh, another component to, to the indicators is the financial risk protection. So financial risk protection, you have one for like catastrophic health expenditure and another one for uh, um, impoverishing health expenditure. So, um, you know that the, there is that is one angle that you can have you can have to it you can give to it i hope i've answered your question yes so you've done justice thank you all right um anybody else with any other questions if you have any questions please feel free to uh, type them in I think one of the other questions that someone asked was um, if we'll get a recording of this. I uh, sorry, if we get uh, the slides, would you be nice enough to share your slides with us, Dr. Dr. Eric? All right, great. Um, I have some questions. Yeah, so I know you uh, mentioned uh, you just mentioned the contribution of um, Nigeria to you know to the global surgery um, to the field of global surgery. So wondering like. Despite the contribution, like the, the few contributions, why is global? Why do you think global surgery is probably not so pronounced, you know, in um in Nigeria? And then what's the scope? What's the scope of global surgery in West Africa and then in Africa as a whole? The current scope of it. Um there, there, there are a lot, there are a lot of things. So there is there, there are definitely some of the bright minds of global surgery in Africa and West Africa, in Nigeria and Ghana. Um, some of the really bright minds of it. Um, I can think when I think about the, for example, the West African College of Surgeons is very involved in, in global surgery. And a lot of their members have, have participated actively in all the major, um, major events of global surgery, be it research, 
policy advocacy and everything. And that's the reason why Nigeria has an ENSO. Now, there are a number of reasons why it might not be at the level that we want it to be right now. I think one of the reasons is one of the reasons is that um, unfortunately we we have a, a fracture between the high level, the big guys, and the rest of the people. That is most of us. What I mean here is that when you think about the way um, the hierarchy is structured, uh, the folks that are at Unilag as professors, you know, they're not in, in constant interactions with um, surgeons outside of Lagos and Abuja, for example. They're the big guys that are there at the hospital. And, you know, they will, they will go to conferences, they will learn stuff. It will stay at Unilag. And it will not go, it will not disseminate, they will not go about chatting with other people. Even when they're on some projects, they don't necessarily call upon these people that, hey, come and join us, you know? I mean, why, why would a professor um, at one of the big universities call you um, from what, whatever village you are from that you should come and help with this? So, so that is one of the reasons, but it's, there's also another level of like, between the fact that there is um, a high, it's highly, global surgery is highly skewed towards high income countries. When you look at global surgery research um, and practice, those who are the most uh, most involved and getting most of the, not the most involved, those who are getting most of the attention are in high income countries. So if you speak, if you say global surgery today, people can easily tell you Harvard PGSSC, um, King's College, and they say all those things. And then it goes back to the question I was asking, like what makes global surgery? If someone has worked in a, in a village for 20 years, being the only surgeon, is he not a global surgeon? What makes someone in at Harvard more of an expert about global surgery than him? You know, this is somebody perhaps that has not been paid by the government for 20 years or uh, not been paid regularly for 20 years. And then you're going to give all these fancy terms about indicators, all these things. At the end of the day, this person doesn't have infrastructure. He knows what infrastructure is like, or she knows. He knows or she knows that uh, um, here is where the problem is. If I just have this, I will be able to solve the solution. I'll be able to solve the, 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 the problem. But if this person gets up, goes to Abuja and says, I want to meet the minister, what, what is going to happen with Abuja or, or Lagos, be the federal minister or, or the state minister? They, they will not receive the person. Like, who are you? But if someone takes the plane and they are Caucasian, they come from um, Harvard and they land, even if they're wearing shorts and slippers, they will meet the minister. So those are things that have to change. And for it to change, you need to understand that you don't necessarily, it's a good thing to be at one of those institutions, but you don't necessarily have to go there to, to make things change. And what you're organizing as Incision Nigeria is important because that's where you, you build that capacity. So you have to recognize that you already have those resources. Aliyu, Mashku have experience in global surgery that many people in Nigeria don't have. Udeme, Nelson Udeme, they have that experience. They've met other people from, from Africa. So you have to use them as resources. You have to recognize that. You don't have to wait for someone from Harvard to come to say that, okay, that we, we, now we have the real global surgery. No, you, are, you have that global surgery every day. Uh, and then I think the final thing is why, why perhaps it's not, it's not 
there yet. It is, I think there is global surgery practice because you have to define what you call global surgery, but we're not putting it out there. We need to see what the things that are happening. I know for a fact that if you go in certain areas, they've been abandoned by the government, but they're working together to offer themselves care. For example, they might be the ones putting money together to pay some people, even, even churches. Churches play, play, play a, a great role in terms of like service delivery. So, so uh, um, that's my opinion. And, and that would change. That would change with people like folks like yourself um, working hard to, to, to get the recognition. Because if there's one thing, Nigeria they carry last. So you'll be able to you'll be able to, to to get that flag up there. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, I think uh, just just to add to what you said earlier about you know being research not being about bragging rights really, right? What's the point of doing research if you're not able to like use it for your you know for your local community? If it's not impacting your local community, and that's what you said about you know the the guy the professor at Minilag. I mean, you don't just do don't do research or don't do stuff and then just keep it for you. And that's why, you know, like you mentioned with Twitter and all that, you really need to get your information out there. You know, I mean, that's that's the only way. That's the way we can actually, you know, expand what we're doing and then, you know, get uh, global search recognition that it needs, you know, like that of Abbott and um, the PGSS program and the rest. So uh, thank you so much. Again, guys, if you have any questions, uh, please um, write them in the chat box. Um, I think one other question I was going to uh, Come up with was you know just like you said if you want to apply to UGHE or you want to apply to the like I said applying to the fellowship um, we need to build the resume right your resume needs to be good so I mean I know you mentioned you mentioned some of your things like you know writing op-eds and all and all that like you know what are the things that people could do right now you know to like beef up their resume so that make it more attractive to like get into some of those um, fellowship programs or you know, the um, master the global uh, surgery uh, degrees and all. So. Yeah, um, thanks for that question. That's something I'm <clears throat> I'm very passionate about actually. Um, be building that resume CV. There are some folks here who are um, who, who are involved in some of our activities, like the Association of Future African Neurosurgeons. It's a group that we created. Um, we created because we thought more and more young folks needed to be able to build their resume and be able to be out there because unfortunately people are not necessarily helping them. Um, I know it's a reality. A lot of us have heard or have been through that situation where you're applying and then they ask, we need a letter of recommendation. You go and see your teacher, uh, your, 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 your preceptor. And can you write me a letter of recommendation? You ask the, the preceptors, Five months before, ten months even after the deadline, you don't have that. You don't have that letter of recommendation, or it's questions like, "Why? What are you going to do?" and all those kinds of things. So, recognizing that, what we've done is, um, with Association of Future African Neurosurgeons, for example, we have a curriculum for research fellowships, like within within AFAN, and we we use basically all that we said. We have a timeline of getting people through the different trainings. Uh, you have, for example, Ezekiel Olaolua here, who can tell you uh, um, um, how, how this goes. You, you get already by taking those different courses, not only do you get knowledge, but you get recognition for the fact that you've taken the courses. And that's as many lines that you get. Because first of all, let's say this and let's be honest. Anybody applying for an opportunity is either a medical student or a medical practitioner like you. So having a medical degree is nothing exceptional. You're just one of many. 
Next thing, um, having aced your exam is good, but it doesn't mean anything because it is difficult. How, how can I know that um, somebody at the University of Ibadan that got maybe 95%, how do I know if the 95% he got at the University of Ibadan is the same as 95% at Unilag? How do I know? Okay, it's difficult. And then if you take it at a world, world level, which is what happens with global surgery, you have people coming, for example, we have someone reaching us from Malaysia. Um, like, how do you know if 95% in Nigeria is the same as it's else, elsewhere? For us in Africa, for example, our teachers are very, they, they, they take pride in the fact that nobody can get a first class. You know, you hear some university, oh, Covenant, it's been 35 years, nobody has had a first class, and then they go in everywhere, and then they're celebrating. And when someone gets a first class, it's as if it's a, it's as if it's a scandal, which is useless, you know. But that's not what happens elsewhere. If you go to if you go to universities like like Harvard, for someone to get a second class, it's difficult. It's very difficult because they have a perspective that if students are well taught, then they should be getting the marks. So two different perspectives. So how do you know if the ninety five percent of Harvard is the ninety five percent of of Unilag? Very difficult. So that's why you need other things. You need things that everybody can be evaluated by. That's where you taking those courses that anybody in the world can take. You getting a certain degree or getting a completion, it's easier to, to, to appreciate that. Um, once you've done that, you get in, involved in um, multiple um, projects, starting with, nothing is too small, starting with op-eds. Don't, you don't have to land in Lancet or BMJ immediately, start small and then build it and then you get that momentum and get surround surround yourself with people who already have that experience like i said it doesn't it really doesn't have to be me in fact you don't have to come to me realize that you have around yourself people who have already had that experience so get involved in the activities incision has so many research opportunities so many out there get involved in those besides incision work among yourselves within the, the nigerian medical schools build that capacity why is this important? If you keep chasing after only those people who are from other areas, there is a sense that when you do something, people will always say, ah, look at that guy that is on the, 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 the paper. He's probably the one who did all the work. And they belittle you somehow, you know. It's a reality. I'm not going to lie to you. And that's why, for example, with AFAN, we've tried as much as possible initially to keep it within AFAN, to get people to have that experience. So that when they speak to people today, someone cannot come and intimidate you because you understand. If you do these courses that I shared with you, you will have the skills. Don't doubt about it. You will not be up there perfect, but you will be at a good level. And then you get involved. And then the next thing at the Sina, there's something that's more important than the CV, connections. There's nothing more important than connections, people. Let no one lie to you. If you're going to get an opportunity, people who get opportunities don't get them because they're the smartest people. Everybody applying is already smart. In fact, there is a first step of sifting through things. And then the next step is people want to be with someone that they can trust, someone that they can work with and be happy with. And that is why you need to build relationships. So you need to use your internet. You need to use your social media intelligently. And people need to know that there is somebody in Nigeria called this. This person is interested in this. This person often comments, attends um, stuff. I'm not going, again, I'm not going to lie to you. If you, if somebody decided today to just do what I said, and for example, say, okay, I will be attending Johns Hopkins SOTA meetings. 
I would do my best to attend every day. By the, by the time you're ending the year, I bet you that someone there will know your name and will probably suggest either that you join research projects or even suggest that you come for some training or for some kind of thing. As simple as that, connections. It is even a lot more than any other thing. So ask yourself today, you want an opportunity somewhere. Who do you know there that can help you? Not in the sense that we say in Africa, where like, like, do, like do you have your brother there? No. Who do you know in that organization? If you don't know people at that organization, then that's a problem. You need people to know you at the organization so that when they see your, your, your application, they'll say, I've worked with this person. I've chatted with this person. I think this is a nice person. And this is someone that knows how to, uh, that really wants it. I hope I've answered your question. Yes, you did. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I, I think that's that's the point where I said, you know, everybody should like let us know where they're where you're joining from, you know. So at least you know, I mean, we know Dr. Dr. Sydney is from PGSSC. So you can that's a that's our connection. I hope if you see any funny looking name, you know, you'd uh, you'd actually respond, respond to our messages and all. So um yeah, again, guys, if you have any questions, um let us know if you have any questions. Um without I think I've exhausted most of my own questions here, you know, and thank, thanks for that, for that input. Connections are very, 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 very important. Very, very important. Um, yeah, they, so, 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 so if you're, for example, an executive or incision, try to attend all those incision meetings, you know. There's also the meetings by the G4 Alliance that you can attend. Yep. G4 Alliance, share, they share their, their links often. Attend those meetings. Um, uh, uh, BGSSC organizes events, attend those meetings. The more, in fact, just increase what we call entropy, meet more people, speak with people, exchange, you know, and then um, you will get your chance. If you're, if you're already here, you're definitely someone motivated, smart, and I'm, yeah, you're going to get somewhere. All you need is an opportunity. You only need one person to, to recognize your value. And sometimes your value, I, I think this is something I've, um, I've struggled to get through to some people. Sometimes your value is not necessarily where you think you, you want to go. Um, I, I wouldn't lie to you guys. Having been at, a, at, a, at Harvard PGSSC has been difficult for me from the aspect that so many young Africans come to me and they say, we want to be there like you. And I try to tell them the one thing, which is a reality that we cannot run away from which is our reality, but not the reality of others. You need money to be there, a lot of money. Per year, 30,000 US dollars for the PGSSC fellowship. If you have that solution, go for it. If you don't, look for another option. Why is, it, why, why is this important? Well, I always suggest a solution. If you want to be at Harvard, apply for the master's in public health. So you take the GRE, apply for the master's in public health. So that when you get that, you can get, if you get into Harvard, you probably get a Fulbright scholarship because it's Harvard. And so if you get a Fulbright scholarship while you're at the School of Public Health, then you can start working with the PGSSE. But if you go through the PGSSE, you will not, who will give you 30,000 US dollars for a year in Nigeria? Who will give it to you? Like, unless, unless you have the number of, of copy, and if you have the number of copy, please send it to me. I have to talk to you as well. So um, your opportunities might be somewhere you've never thought about. It might be Australia. It might be, um, because there's also global surgery there, you know, um, it, it might be even within Africa and Rwanda. You don't have to, you don't, don't be hell bent, like 
that no, you, you're trying to get to a goal and a path are different, but you will get there and you'll be at the summit. You know, you'll be there. Um, I, I think, for example, now the, the editor in chief of um, BMJ Global Health is Say Abimbola, Nigerian. You know, he left Nigeria. I think he went through, he was at the uh, University of Ibadan. He left Nigeria, went through, to, through Australia, and today he's the editor in chief of one of the biggest global health journals. He didn't have to, to, to necessarily go to, it doesn't have to be Harvard. Yes, you, you try, but know your own resources. What resources do you have at hand? And don't put yourself in a situation where your family will start suffering because most of those who will go there will probably not be in residence. You still have to think about how you're going to train and everything, you know? So, um, and I feel bad about it because I know how it is for us. It's already difficult as it is. Um, if you have to get people to look for that kind of money, it, it is a problem. And we've spoken about it. We've spoken about it at, at level PGSS and elsewhere. We've told them that you cannot keep asking young Africans to come here if this is how much money it is. Like you need to get money to, to, to sponsor. We told them to sponsor them and they're working on it. But in the meantime, um, I find it difficult to tell someone, hey, I, I love the people at PGSC. I love them, I, I, everybody, you know, but, but I find it difficult to say to say someone, hey, my brother, go here. And then what? What happens if the person freezes to death there? What happens, you know? Um, no, 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 not, not necessarily a good thing. And that's why we've always shared the, the scholarship opportunities with everyone. Those that know me, I always want to say, we just, we just send it somewhere. All you need is one opportunity and you get to the top. I said we get to the top. Amen. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, guys, um, again, I think um, Emenogu so, has a, a question. Okay, good. Okay, yeah, thank you very much, um, Dr. Eric. Um, I think you've, you've done so much today, and we are just so grateful to you for what you've done. Um, frankly speaking, you've just made us feel so happy, and you've given us hope that, um, that there's still possibility for us, um, regardless of the challenges that we have here, that we can still make it. Yeah, um, and you've also shown us um, the importance of us um, getting engaged in global surgery research and how we can go about it. Um, although I want to also ask you um, from your own, if you could give us personal, um, like personal stories or experiences um, to kind of prepare our minds, because I believe that um, for you to have gotten where you are today, you must have really encountered some challenges. So do you mind sharing with us your personal experiences, what you had to go through? At least if you have an uh, idea of what to <laughs> uh, my brother, the, the kind of stories you're asking me to share yeah? <laughs> live on Facebook. Ah, you too. No duo. Ah. Do, do you think we, you want to shake tables out here? Ah, this boy. Nah, come on. Now, yeah, I, 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 we, we, these are things that we chat over beers, you know, in, in places where people, people can not, not live on Facebook. I understand what you're saying. But, but you don't you don't share it in public in public spaces like this. If you if you want that information, slide slide into his DM, and then you will give you that information. <laughs> okay, no um, no no problems here. You, you see, these are the kind of things that what we do. We speak in parables. Uh, everything we we said here is in parables. So if wise man will understand. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um...
So in the in the absence of any other questions, I think we should start drawing this um, drawing this to a close, right? Again, Dr. Sidi, we thank you so so much. Thank you so much for being here. Um, I'm just gonna go over some of you know recap some of the things that you said. You know, right now, um, what we can do right now, you know, join join some of the journal clubs. Okay, get involved. Get on get on Twitter, right? I mean, if you, you want to get into the into the research into the research arm. Research have more than global surgery. Like I said, there are so many arms of global surgery, right? There's research, there's advocacy, there's policies, you know, there's education, you know, there's service delivery. And please let me know if there's any question. I'm not following that, but yeah, so there are so many arms. And then right here at incision, you have all the arms represented. Okay, so the best way to get into global surgery, I mean, as a Nigerian right now, and then you know, being a medical student or you know, or young or young medical professional get involved with um, incision again get that network and then from there and then from there we'll be able to um, we'll be able to grow grow in the field of um, global surgery again dr sydney thank you so so much we really appreciate you and then again i think i think one of the things one of the things i really enjoyed about this is it was really personal and it was very very relatable okay i don't think i don't think you can beat that this is not i mean this is not someone you know some let me, let me keep that let me keep that pg rated but you know it, it was very very relatable and i'm sure everybody agrees with um everybody agrees with that um now i'm going so this like again this is the first part i i i'm gonna have um allow Lu come back on come back on this is the first one okay sorry i think we have a question we have a question from um michelle yeah please go on yeah thank you it's not really a question i, I just wanted to appreciate um Dr. Ulrich for everything, even personally, even at this stage, I'm still learning. I still learned a lot from this presentation and I'm ever grateful. I just want to say that we should always make up, make use of, of this opportunity. So it shouldn't just be like we come and attend this um, capacity building workshop. And at the end of the day, we just go and sit down and continue with our lives as usual. But we should make it a point to actually use and implement everything that he has shared with us. Thank you very much, Mark. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Go on. Yeah, th th thanks, Marshall. And again, I I'm insisting on this, um, guys. I I want to. I try to. I try my best to 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 to, to practice what I what I'm talking about. I know there's going to be a tendency for people to start rushing. The first, a lot of people will rush first to come and uh, ask me questions and everything. Start with people close to you. Start with the people that are there. You know, um, like I said, there is a reason why Mashko is in the MPH he is in now. He is closer to your reality than I. I will be. Yes, I'm close, but you, you know, start close to you, and it goes again to those contacts and connects. Start with, with, with Aliyu, start with people around you first. Try to work that work that magic. Why, why do I insist on this? We've seen it happen around ourselves where we have this one person, often who is good, but becomes the sole center of everything. Everything that you want to do goes through that one person. And if that person is not there, nothing will happen. I don't, I really would hate to be that kind of a person start with people around you and they will give you the information. They will help you with things that you thought, you know, you, you probably thought they, they, they didn't know. There, there is a lot, 
there's a lot of experience in in Udeme, Nelson Udeme, uh, Mashko, Aleo, um, Adesina. So start, start, start there. Right. Thank you again. Thank you so much for that, Rui. Um, so, like I said, this this is the first part. Aleo, do you want to say something? Um, sure. I mean, I have to give thanks to um, Dr. Oric for his time and for at least motivating and inspiring us all on pursuing like at least uh, research within global surgery and other things too within global surgery and you know guiding us and showing us the way and thank you very much Eric. thanks a lot and also thank you the moderators and everyone for attending uh i mean it's really sahana I'm, I'm really happy and proud of this uh this thank you very much Uh, Uche, I believe you also want to say something. Okay, yeah, thank you very much. I, uh, I'm just so happy, like so, so, so happy. Um, frankly speaking, Dr. Yurik, you've just done justice to um, the topic of today. And and I must say that personally, I'm, I've been encouraged. Thank you so much for final time to be with us today. And we look forward to having you next time again. Of course, definitely we will. Um, I want to appreciate, use this um, chance to um, appreciate um, Dr. Aliu, um, who was the, uh, the founder of um, Institution Nigeria and also um, a one-time uh, chair. Thank you so much for your commitments, for your love for Institution Nigeria. Um, especially, I want to appreciate um, our moderators, Dr. Shino, Yes, thank you so much for the excellent work you've done today. And um, also Dr. Um, Ayomide, thank you so much, thank you so much. And special thanks to um, Mashko. Yes, having you here is such a great privilege. We appreciate your presence. Um, in case you don't know, Mashko is um, the Vice President External of Incision. So um, thank you so much for, um, for being here with us. And um, special thanks to my executives. Yes, I can see Ismat here. Um, Dr. Ismat Gazal, um, she's our lead education. You can see likewise my research head, um, Dr. Laoluwa Deyomo. Thank you for putting this meeting together. He has been working so much for a couple of weeks now trying to put all this together. Um, thank you so much for all you've done. And also for everyone here, I may not be able to call names right now, but definitely we love you and we look forward to getting more um, useful content for us. Thank you so much. All right, all right. Um, so I was gonna say that this is um, this is the first part of, I think 14 series. So Dr. Eric just pretty much introduced us into you know global surgery as a whole itself. But then you know, going forward, we're going to be going more into global surgery research and how best how we can get ourselves involved and you know what does it mean to actually conduct global surgery research? How can we make it you know commendable? How can we make it relatable you know to our local um, local surroundings and how how to get involved. I mean he talked about fundings and all that. So we're gonna get you know get into all the details as the weeks go uh, go on. Um, we'll, Everyone, everyone here, we have your email, so we'll send out emails, you know, um, regarding the next the next meeting, we'll let you know when it's going to be, and then well, all the resources that we got from here will be shared out, and 
really appreciate everybody for being here. Thank you, Dr. Yurik. Thank you, Masmo. I think we've done all the vote of things, but really, really appreciate you guys for being here and um, look forward to seeing you again soon. Thank you.